Welcome to Let Go, Lean In, my podcast designed with transformational leaders like you in mind. I'm Lise Lewis, your transformational leadership coach. In each episode, you'll find help growing awareness of your mindset as a leader, be equipped with a tool to let go of unrealistic expectations and self-limiting beliefs that get in the way of your one precious life. My goal is for you to thrive as you lean in toward the leadership call God has put on your life. Join me and other leaders as we let go and lean in together. Thank you, Sarah, for coming as a guest for Let Go Lean In podcast. I'm really excited for the listeners to get to meet you and hear what you are currently doing and what brought you to the place that you're in right now. So, so thanks. Thanks for being here. I'm excited. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. When I started brainstorming about this entire podcast, I kept seeing faces of dear women that I know. And I just knew that was, those are the people that I needed to reach out and just trust that if, if they were interested and available, then we'd get to have conversations. So you are on that list and here we are. I feel so honored. I feel so honored. <laughs> it's so fun. It's just yeah. like, Hey, let's have our tea and, yeah. and sit down and chat. Have tea time with you. Yes. <laughs> Well, I want to share with the listeners, both who might be watching eventually through YouTube or on um, the website, on Let Go Lean In podcast website, uh, your bio. And I'm going to, just going to read to give it the gravitas it deserves. It's very impressive. So here we go. Our dear Sarah delights in all things beautiful and dreams incessantly of a better world. Hmm. Sarah has worked for over a decade in the graphic design industry in both agency and corporate contexts. For many years, she has dreamed of designing a creatively beautiful product that helps empower under-resourced people groups. That was the impetus for Ellie Funday. They design baby blankets and children and women's wear that empower marginalized women in India. In her previous life as a design director, she has led global marketing product launches for applied materials market entry into the LED sector and into the solar field. She has also spearheaded the branding of Safeway's corporate responsibility reporting and Vaughn's and Safeway are the same corporation reporting, which has set them on a new trajectory of accountability. Her greatest asset is telling great stories about great products and great stories. <laughs> she is now fully devoted to developing Ellie Funday into a socially conscious lifestyle brand that makes true impact. Ellie Funday employs marginalized women with a fair wage and dignified employment. Her mission is to bridge the gap with design focused products to bring about economic empowerment for the poor. Ellie Funday products can be found in over 250 stores globally. And I found them in Texas one time. <laughs> and that was so fun, including Anthropology, Barney's NYC, Nordstrom, and Restoration Hardware. 
Their products have been featured in Martha Stewart's Living, Huffington Post, Earnshaw's, and alongside of celebrities like Kate Hudson's baby, Kirsten Dunst, and Ron and Ren Bannister, Eva Chen, the former Lucky Magazine editor, and Instagram stars, and my grandchildren. <laughs> I'll add that yeah, in there. They are stars as well. <laughs> yes, they are their own little stars. In her nuggets of spare time, and literally little <laughs> nuggets of spare time, you'll find her concocting tinctures of small batch spirits, and looking for new ways to pretend to surf in the frigid Northern California waters. Whew. Her most exciting travels have taken her on an Indian overnight train while sleeping next to a police officer alongside of trekking through the Kerala waters looking for water snakes. And one other thing I know about Sarah, she is an Enneagram seven and so loves ideas and is very enthusiastic and joyful. So welcome, Sarah. And I Thank loved you. getting to read through some of those things that I've known, but then also to hear some of the things that went before we met. So that's, that's kind of exciting to get to bring all that together. And now you're in the midst of this season of designing and redesigning in your home, like so many of us during this pandemic. It's like, okay, I'm tired of this. Let's try to figure out this. So yeah, you get to be designing in real time at home as well, which is absolutely a lot of neglected things. <laughs> oh, well, yes, because oh, those nuggets of time, you're going to be doing other fun things rather than, hard, you know, a lot of neglect in my home currently. So that's it. It's oh, there's, there's always projects, right? When you're a homeowner, there's always projects for sure. So, well, I love to kind of focus on, on three things with women, the idea of growing awareness. And then once somebody has developed this awareness of, oh, I didn't realize this about myself, then the idea of helping get resources, tools, getting equipped mm -hmm. so that they can move to thriving. So in our time together, we're going to kind of talk about each of those. And I really, again, just want you to share from your heart, whatever comes up and whatever makes most sense. So let's, yeah. let's kind of go back even earlier than your first official, you know, global design opportunities. When you think of your younger years, was there a time when you had an awareness of yourself as a leader in, in any kind of space? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, I've, if, if I were to ask myself when I was younger, like, was I a leader? I think I was, uh, I was a really timid and slow to warm type of child mm -hmm. and very introspective. And so when I was younger, more often than not, I thought leaders were like loud, like, forward bombastic type of person. So that's an interesting question. And so I started reflecting on that and asking myself, like, where did I see myself as a leader in that, in that season? I think maybe in my early, like junior high years, more so because I was given the challenge of stepping up. And um, my dad um, was a pastor of a new church and there wasn't a youth group. And my brother and I were one of the few kids around that age. And it's like, hey, why don't we started a youth group together. No idea how to do that. We're in junior high. Right. And my dad's like, you can be the leader. I was like, what? You know, I can be the leader. <laughs> and so I think that when he put that challenge to me, I was like, okay, so what are we supposed to do in this context? He's like, just lead 
them and teach them the Bible or, and so I think that just having that challenge put towards me kind of said, like, I think my dad believed us that, you know, you could do this. And it's like, you know, it's youth group, have fun, you know, you send what you know, and have, you know, just go along, along with it. And I think that I really enjoyed um, learning how to teach what I knew and putting a creative spin on it and like having fun times alongside it. Like youth group is all about just fun and bonding. And I remember we like did this like sleepover at the church and we had the a Roman Olympics. I think that that was like the theme. And so what we did was we basically had, I think seven different types of, um, I guess, events in the Roman Olympics. And so we planned out each event and one was like, I think we said like chariot racing and the idea was we would put kids in sleeping bags and like tow them across you know hardwood <laughs> floor and that was our form of chariot racing yeah. and so I think that that's when I started to realize oh I really love putting my creativity alongside of these ideas because we we're I think I also believe we we're studying Romans too and so like how do you put this into context right right so like bringing all these things and ideas together I think that's when it's like oh this is kind of fun and yeah, I could actually plan this. I could do this. I could lead people to have this experience. And so I think that's one of my earlier memories of that. I love that. And to, to teach what you know, that (laughs) I think is one of those nuggets that we can take away and just recognize we don't all have that same bombastic, loud, you know, charismatic personality, but that doesn't mean we're not a leader. And that I think is, is a big shift I'm hoping that women start to see is that leaders come in lots of different styles and using your creativity, which is just who you are. Mm-hmm. I love the connection to the book of Romans and let's have Roman chariot races. And, and <laughs> that's awesome. That must've been a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely in my early years, a lot of fun. So. So let's, let's stick with the creativity and, and, and bring that forward. You knew you were a creative person. I remember a story that you shared about designing clothes and, and redesigning and things. At what point in your life was that taking place? I would say it was pretty early. Um, I grew up in the really tough place of Honolulu, Hawaii. So, you know, really tough place to grow up, but suffering um, servant, (laughs) really hard place to grow up. But I grew up in Hawaii and I remember a couple of things, what I used to do naturally. Um, One thing I used to do was my dad had like an old business folder portfolio that he never used. So I would grab that and he would have sheets of like white paper in it. So I started developing my own portfolio. I would sketch, um, is either prom dresses or like designer, like fancy gowns. And because I live in Hawaii, the other thing I designed were swimsuits. And so I would just be in my room or, you know, out on the lawn, just like sketching like designer gowns and swimsuits all day and make my little portfolio in the end. And so I think I was probably, I'm guessing around like eight or nine at that age. Yeah. Around eight or nine. And the other thing I remember is that um, some of our listeners might remember that Sanrio, like the Hello Kitty store, they used to package all of their products in really beautiful pack, like the gift wrapped. And it had like a patterns on there. And I couldn't afford, to, I didn't want to throw it away. 
So this is my early days of like reuse repurposing. And so I take this beautifully like patterned like package and I would design other things from it. Like one thing I made was I made like a wallet out of it. Like I refashioned it into a wallet that's functional, but like all the little, like, I think, I think like, like all the little levels and even like a little tab is what I remember. And so I would always be looking for materials to like build out of and how do I reuse this somehow? So yeah, those are my earlier days. And there's, there's something, you know, we talked about you being a storyteller, a through line is something that carries a story and makes it have that forward motion. And so mm-hmm. here you were as a, a younger than junior high individual and starting to use your creativity in a way that it wasn't just coloring pages. You were really designing and making things. And that has been the trajectory of your life, hasn't it? Yeah, very much so. I think that it's been my natural inclination. I think a lot of the tension that I had growing up is trying to fit with parental expectations too. Mm. And um, they were always open to letting me, you know, explore my hobbies. But I think that from a parental expectation, there's always the practicality of things of like, mm-hmm. oh, what are you going to do? You know, when you go to college. And so I took a very traditional route in college. I went in as a um, biochem major for pre-med, which is almost completely opposite <laughs> from yeah. a creative thing. But I think that what was great about um, going in as a biochem, um, biochem pre-med was I love biology and I think that I like biology because I'm studying how things work. That's really what a creative likes. There's always that idea of like, oh, how does this work is what I'm always trying to figure out and why does it work and looking at the system and in itself and go, oh, that's really cool. And so I think that's what I really value about my science degree is that I understand the mechanics of how things work and now I can go break them or I could go, you know, figure out like how I can like change things around. But it's also helped me develop a vocabulary to communicate with people that have much more of a scientific background, especially in my previous work when I was working with engineers, when they talked about LED and about physics, I at least had some semblance of understanding. So that helped. I think that really set a good foundation for me to like have that kind of me- those mechanics in order to set a foundation. So I love that you recognize the the passion to know how things work was, is tied with creativity because so many of the people that I know who are creatives also have a background in mathematics or in the sciences in some you know specific route. And, and it's fascinating because in my early years in education, those were not anywhere near one another on a continuum. If you were creative, you were over here in the arts. If you were, you know, math and science, you were over here. Yet so many are musicians and poets and artists of other kinds. Yeah, it's it's interesting thinking about my my deal is how does this system work? (laughs) Thinking about the neurobiology of the brain and its connections and things, boy. That makes me excited when I think about, oh my gosh. So here she was in science and now she's working in this design component. How did you make that shift from specifically uh, 
the, the science mm-hmm. discipline into more of a graphic design. Yeah. And it's interesting that you, you talked about like, how does this work? Right. Like yeah. the neuro part. And so this progression that you're like, how did I make that progression was exactly what you're talking about. I think as I was studying biology, I started getting actually really interested in psychology. So I did end up having a psychobio degree where I actually study psychology alongside of biology. And oh, I was like, wow. how do, how does the mind connect to the body? Yes. And so, um, from that progression, I said, okay, maybe I will use that to, um, become a social worker and I will, um, start, you know, studying and getting an MSW. And so out of college, I went and worked at an at-risk youth center in the middle of the Tenderloin, which is a a red light district here in San Francisco. And my heart was totally like blown away by the level of poverty and the extreme crisis that our youth were facing. I think that's when my eyes were just opened. I think that I've always had a heart um, for those that have been hurting. And that's really where the heart for the marginalized started. And at the same time, I really had this creative side that I wanted to explore. And so while I was working at um, Larkin Street Youth Center, I just really felt like I need to give myself the benefit of the doubt and like honor this creative side. And so I went back to school actually for design and um, worked at a design firm as their administrative assistant early on while I was going to school. And I just like fell in love with graphic design. Um, I had the intuition already, but I didn't have the backbone necessarily. And so having just a little bit of that um, design certificate, I didn't even get a full like four-year degree because I didn't want to go back, um, helped me at least have a foundation to get my foot in the door into graphic design and into the agencies. So that's a little bit like how I kind of stepped into it. So, yeah. Well, I love that because honestly, that, that, segues so beautifully into the idea of learning you you know you have this awareness you have this creativity you love the sciences and how the brain works but then your heart and connecting this passion not only for the marginalized but the the creative problem solving and design components and you went out to find a resource if you will to help you be equipped to move in that direction. I think that's something that gets in the way for so many women, particularly, is the achievement of a degree. And then that is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. There's that, you know, supposed to. Right. And you looked at opportunities and applications in a different way. So seeing mm. with potential. That's the beauty of a seven on the Enneagram, yeah. by the way, for those of you that are Enneagram people, they, they see possibilities rather than only one way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you were to encourage others regarding a, a tool or you know a way that has really consistently supported you, not only today, but in the ways that you have moved through your life, what might be something that you would say, this, this is something I consistently come back to and recognize this equips me. 
Yeah, I think when I think about what, like, what have I done since I was little that's been consistent? And Enneagram 7s, we like to try a lot of different things, whether oh, we're yes. <laughs> yesterday was another thing. But I think that the one thing I did consistently was actually journal as a young child. Okay. And so um, I have journals dating back to when I was like maybe fourth grade, like fourth or fifth grade around that. And it's pretty funny to read back to him. Cause it's like, Oh, my brother like ate my you know lunch and I got angry at him. So funny things like that. But when I think about it, that's what I have done consistently over the years. Mm. And, um, for my personal faith, like I am a Christian and I think that having my faith walk alongside of that journal has um, really shown me my progression over time. Mm. Whenever I look back at it, it's like, oh, this is how I've grown in my um, personal, you know, um, well-being and my personal walk. Mm. And it's also helped me to have this understanding of my emotions. I think that's the one thing. I think as a seven, I'm always con- trying to control my immediate like emotions. It's easy for me to react extremely quickly and like loudly or like I think extremely is what my husband says but so I think my journal has helped me to be reflective and to look back on okay you know how could I have reacted to this instance in a better way or reflectively ask oh you know did I do something in this relationship that I need to mend and so I think that has been a very helpful tool for me if I'm looking at this full thread so yeah I love that and and when you have been leading your team, mm-hmm. do you encourage them, provide opportunity for self-reflection on, on a particular project? How, how do you weave that in, I guess, is mm-hmm. because I imagine you do, since it's been such a part of you. Right. I, I really love building teams. I love bringing good teams together. And so um, a part of my psychology degree like I love like personality theory I love studying personality tests and inventories I know that there's always controversy amongst them but um obviously the Enneagram has played a very big role in how I've learned to grow into who I am today and you and your coaching we brought you in to help coach our team at um in in a quarterly sense and I think that our team our team like loved it. I think that that was one thing that I really wanted them to do was like have this understanding of themselves. I think that in the past when I worked in corporate settings, a lot of the dysfunction that I saw was due to a lack of Mm self-awareness and how someone um, would react to their coworker. And just saw a lot of that butting up against um, me, against each other. And so when I started building LA Funding, it's like, I want my team to be healthy. I want them to be healthy individuals and I want to bring tools so that they can know how to be healthy. And Enneagram was one of them. And we also do other exercises. Um, like at the beginning of the year, we have had our team um, write down like their goals and aspirations and really self-reflectively ask themselves, okay, where do my passion sit? You know, where does my skill set sit? And like, what does the world need? So we go through those types of exercises to help cultivate an understanding as like of who am I? How can I fit into this world and how, how do my um, skill sets and gifts, you know, how can that push things forward? And so, yeah, my team loves it. So those are some of the tools that we've used. That's so great because what you're doing for yourself 
you're also inviting your people into for themselves. Mm -hmm. I loved what you said about so that your team could be healthy. A lot of times we have dysfunctional company cultures Mm -hmm. don't even realize why we're tense when we're in that space. But it is possible to make those kinds of changes, but it's much easier to establish a culture when you're building a company, which is the beauty of, of starting Ellie Funday in the way that you did. Mm -hmm. and, and to be inviting in that place of self-reflection is, is exactly what a transformational leader is. You're doing this yourself on the regular and you see how it benefits you in, in your work relationships, in your personal relationships, in your spiritual relationship. And, and so isn't it just the natural thing to say, hey, let's do this together individually, but then also put it together and see where we're coming from. I love that. That's such a beautiful example of transformational leadership. You're in the process of growing and changing and you're inviting your people to do the same thing. Thank you. Oh yeah, no, this is something I've always admired about you because you're, you're genuine and you're honest, but you're also so approachable in, you know, a fun kind of leadership way, which I think that's the important thing for women to recognize. And we talked about it briefly before, but leaders don't all look like a charismatic man standing up in front and saying, hey, come join me in this. That's, that's a model that existed for many years, but thankfully there's been a lot of research and uh, education around leadership and it's not that way solely anymore. So I love, love to just get to unpack that kind of thing. So let me bring us to present day, because I know a little of the backstory, but as you are leading Ellie Funday through this season, how did you come to a place where you recognized it's time for a season of, of hibernation and quiet and, and slowing? Yeah, it's uh, it was a really difficult decision. Um, when the pandemic hit, our team hit the ground running. And what I mean by that, we responded very quickly to making masks. We sold, I think, over, I think, 1,000 masks. We donated over 3,000 masks early on um, before the ports were re or re able to reopen to get, you know, more masks in. And so we made those, like, in-house by hand. <laughs> and so we responded very quickly. And that helped us, you know, keep our revenues up um, for the time being. But we were really unsure as to what the future looked like too. And we're in a retail segment, which was heavily affected by all the closures because 80% of our business is based on small businesses and all those businesses had to close down during the pandemic. And these are smaller, especially retailer stores that are mom and pops. And so they're not like Amazon or Walmart or Target that could have been open during the pandemic and that has large piles of cash that they could sit on. And so we started looking at that picture and saying, okay, um, if our retailers are not opening, that means we're not selling. And that puts us in a very difficult situation. And then the second situation was that because we work with India, India was also shut down. They went on full shutdown. They weren't shipping anything out. 
um, until the end of August 30th. And so we had to pull back the reins on everything. Usually we're doing our production planning like six months to a year in advance. And we even, we hit pause on that because we didn't know if we could sell through inventory. So there are a lot of logistics that we needed to work through. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at our, you know, cash balance and we're like, we can't, we can only weather this, you know, for so long. Right. And um, we can only weather this for so long. Government wasn't giving us any aid. And we knew that we needed to figure out how to um, survive and also continue the work that we did with the women. And so most recently in July, we decided, okay, we knew that our sewing unit in India could still operate. They just couldn't ship anything out. And so what we heard from them was that um, a lot of the schools were closed. And because the schools were closed, the biggest thing that we heard was that school girls were not able to have access to uh, menstrual pads. And I was totally floored by that. And I didn't know that even school girls were able to or did, that the schools gave out those um, products, but it t- made total sense because um, in the more rural areas, having a sanitary pad is almost like a luxury item. And um, more often than not, families will choose to buy basic groceries and whatsoever, and girls would just be using rags or very other in- unsanitary things. And so that really broke my heart. Yeah. And I started learning a lot about um, dismensal poverty. And we talked to our team on ground in India and they were the ones that actually came up with this idea, which made me entirely like proud of them because this was not sp- like sparked by me. This is something that they said, like, oh, we want to make menstrual pads to help our local women. It's like, that's awesome. I want to support you. And so that's when we decided, okay, let's get together and bring together initiative to raise funds to help you do that. And so that was back in July. And so we're currently trying to raise $20,000 to keep our women working and um, they're able to work and then also um, work locally with local women who will be doing the distribution and the education of these reusable um, menstrual pads for the local women around them. So that's kind of where we're at. Um, and we say hibernate because we're trying to rethink and revision as to what the next season of LA Funday will look like. Retail will look very different post pandemic. I'm not sure um, what it's going to look like. So we're trying to conserve our resources. I still feel like our vision and mission is still very strong. Mm-hmm. How we will come out of it, <laughs> we're not quite sure yet, but we will spend a lot of time in thought and prayer there. So, Well, in a season of discerning, there is unknown. And, and so when we don't know and people ask, it becomes this, it can become disorienting and and so I love that you even created a very natural word to this time. We're hibernating. And there's a lot of life that goes on in hibernation. There's always a lot of growth that's not seen. And so it's it's a beautiful metaphor for mm-hmm. what Ellie Fundy is doing. At the same time, people can still contribute to that fundraiser for the women who are making these products in India. And we'll include that in the um, show notes so that people have access to immediate access to LA Funday. And I know that you've been running kind of a current inventory sale. Where are you at with that? Because I was just on there last week, but I haven't been on this. We're we're down to maybe 10 to 20 more pieces left. Oh, but they're still available. There's so that's a bit left. Yeah, there's a little bit left. We'll leave the site up um, to sell through that. Yeah, so there's a little bit left um, for now. And so we'll be 
thinking through, you know, how we want to handle the next season in that sense. But yes, but we do have stockists that have inventory. So if you want to check the stockist list, that's also another place to look too. So, Oh, awesome. Yeah. That, that was the other thing I was thinking. I know there have to be stores are. that mm-hmm. still have access to yeah. your inventory because you, you know, shipped out mm-hmm. and things like that. Right. Well, good. So there's still products out there that we can have access to. I'm so glad that you shared the story of the seamstresses in India and their own empowerment to see a need and do something about it. Mm -hmm. They didn't have those sewing skills when you first interacted with them. This is all because of your vision, your dream, your leadership. And now these women have a set of skills that can be used for the benefit of others. Now, if that isn't holy work, I don't know what is. And and we have, I I talk about thriving. Mm. Everybody has a different definition of what it means to thrive. And and I'm just going to say that story for me is Mm. a definition of thriving. (laughs) But thank you, Lisa. Sorry, you know me, I just get this way. But that may not be your definition of thriving. And so I just wondered if you would share with us, what do you, what does it look like in, in your mind, in your life? Is there a time when you felt that way? Are you trying to get back there? Just unpack that a little bit for us. Thank you for noticing that. Cause I remember us having that conversation you pointed that out and I had to sit with that thought because I think it's easy for me not to like look at the effect of what I've done more so I'm always like looking forward so I I'm really grateful that you noticed that and I was like what I set out to do for LA fun day was to empower the women that that we always talk about empowerment and empowerment means to me the ability to make your own choices and to continue to do good work and that's what they did and I'm so proud of them they're like I see a problem I'm gonna go solve it yeah and so I think that um, I've, I'm learning to like acknowledge that and to say, okay, the work that I have done is now being multiplied. Yes. And um, I think that early on in this journey, I think that I needed to really tap into my source of strength mm-hmm. and my source of strength is God. And when you ask like, how do I define thriving? Like God is my source. And um, he's my source. And in order for me to continually thriving, I need to tap into my source and that I would be the conduit for the source Mm. and that whatever comes out of me is because I am tapped to him. And so that it's just like, like a pipeline, I guess is how I see it. And sometimes the pipe gets blocked with junk in it. Like, oh, there's just too much in my life. And so that conduit is stuck. And so I think that in life, that's, my goal is to make sure that I'm the open, you know, pipeline that um, he can flow through me and that I'm not obstructing what he wants to do. That's how I define thriving. Mm, And even early on um, the words that I got in this journey was that streams of living water would flow out of me. And I'm like, okay, I'm not quite sure what that will look like, but um, in the end, I understand what you're saying now. It's like, it's like, I think thriving means like you're not, I'm not in the way in order for the source to flow through me. So, mm, yeah. and, and just to be able to stay tapped in 
to mm-hmm. the work that God is doing in and through you. That's mm-hmm. to me, that's this, this pipeline that you're talking about, right? We get, we get these downloads from God and then what do we do with them? You get to continually use that wonderful tool of journaling for reflecting and, and recognizing, oh, this might be something that needs to be set aside during this season so that I'm, you know, fully available to what God wants to do. And I think that's the beautiful explanation of transformation right there is to recognize on an ongoing regular practice that this is a journey. There's not really a finish line until he takes us home and we see him face to face. And even then, I don't think we're finished. I think we just like get into a new zone and continue on. But that's, you know, we don't need to get into theology. <laughs> it's like that. But I love that your definition allows for movement. Mm-hmm. It's not an achievement. Mm-hmm. It's not a, a finish line. Mm-hmm. And that is just so life-giving to, mm-hmm. to hear that, yeah, thriving is staying connected to God and letting him do in and through you what, those are my words, but you know. Mm-hmm. Thank you. No, yeah. Oh, it's awesome. I'm so glad that we've had time to just kind of share a bit about who you are, but also what is going on in the world with Ellie Funday. And I meant what I said earlier, we're going to put the link to be able to donate and help the process to supply um, the, the funds for the materials so that the women can continue to make the menstrual pads for the young girls. I cannot even imagine what that, because, yeah, we could go on and on, but just the the shame that would overcome any young girl who didn't really know yet what was happening to their body and then to have no resources to feel clean and Mm -hmm. able to be with other people that just and to think that that is still happening in the world where you and I are talking across you know the internet that is like so at cross purposes. So thank you for allowing people to contribute in this way. So that'll be fun for everybody too. I appreciate that. And yeah, and we'll have all the, the links and ways that you can stay connected with Sarah. And I'm just grateful for all of you listening in. I hope you recognize yourself in this journey of transformation. And Sarah Lynn, thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure.